You're listening to The Jill Monaco Show, episode number five with Lisa Anderson. Welcome to The Jill Monaco Show. I'm your host, Jill. Each week, I hope to bring you a message that inspires, encourages, or challenges you to go after and live a life you love. Join me and my friends as we explore what it means to love God, love ourselves, and love others. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Here we go. talking about singleness. Why the heck are you still single? Lisa Anderson is my guest today, and I can't wait for you to get to know her. Honestly, she should do all the talking because she is so witty and smart and has a really cool radio voice. Lisa and I met a year ago when I was traveling across country. I mentioned this journey in a previous episode, so you can check that out to learn more. But in short, I was between jobs, or what I thought was between jobs, and I decided to put everything I owned into storage and go wherever God told me to go. I drove by myself from New York to LA in what ended up being an eight-month adventure. I slept on strangers' floors, prayed for the homeless, saw people physically healed, no joke, and reconnected with old friends, which was just as amazing. I did the journey every year for a few months, and last year, I stopped by Colorado Springs and met Lisa. We almost didn't meet because of a snowstorm, but I am so glad I did. Lisa Anderson is the director of Young Adults for Focus on the Family, the world's leading Christian organization dedicated to helping families thrive. She manages Boundless, Focus's ministry for young adults, with the goal of helping 20- and 30-somethings grow up, own their faith, date with purpose, and prepare for marriage and family. She's also the author of The Dating Manifesto, a drama-free plan for pursuing marriage with purpose. And she hosts The Boundless Show, a national radio program, and a weekly podcast, where she leads discussions on timely issues and volunteers far too much information of her personal life, which I love. She interviewed me for the podcast last year as well. Lisa is also single. Hello, single men. I am happy to take applications because after this podcast, I'm sure many of you are going to want to ask for her contact information. Speaking of singleness, today Lisa and I are going to have a conversation about it. We are going to talk about the common questions we hear from singles we minister to, but we are also going to be super real about our own struggles with being single. I'm not sure if people think about that. We are leading singles, but we want to be married too. We want to encourage singles, but need encouragement too. Granted, we laugh more than we cry about it these days, but it's totally possible to be content in this stage of life and still deeply desire marriage. So you'll learn my greatest fear when it comes to talking publicly about singleness. Lisa will share plenty of funny stories about living with her single mom. And be sure to stay to the end when Lisa and I talk about what we really feel God is doing in this time of singleness, about our identity and how that identity in Christ really propels us to actually find a relationship and everything we are called to be. Now, before we get started with Lisa, I want to share an opportunity with you. If you are single and in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I want to invite you to join me in Grapevine on August 6th. I will be offering my course from Looking to Loving, Find the Breakthrough You Need So You Can Have the Relationship You Want. I am going to teach it live. 
Plus, you'll have my ministry team there to pray for you, and you might meet some other really cool singles. Now, I usually teach this course online a few times a year, and I offer it for $2.97. But a few weeks ago, I had an idea. I want to help as many singles as possible identify the four things that they need to know in order to find the right one. We'll cover things like intimacy with God, forgiveness, overcoming rejection, and fear. I know, some serious stuff there. Believe me, I understand. But don't let that scare you off. When I first designed this program in 2016, I felt like it came as a download from heaven. I was praying for my single coaching clients and felt like the Lord really wanted people to be married. But sometimes we just attract the wrong person, we choose the wrong person, or we overlook the right person. We have life patterns that keep us in the same cycle of prolonged singleness. Or past relationships have made us cautious. Now, this event is good if you've never been married, want to be married, or if you're totally fine being single. These coaching tools will help you have healthy relationships across the board. I have a guest speaker that will be sharing why we attract certain people and why we are attracted to certain people, too. The best part is it's just $47 for the whole day, from 9 a.m. till 9 p.m., live in Grapevine. Now, space is limited, so go to jillmonaco.com and find the link to register from the show notes of this podcast, or you can find it at my event page at jillmonaco.com events. I believe this will help you so much. In fact, several people who took my course got engaged and married within the year. So if you have questions about the course, you can leave me a message in the comments too. I'm happy to answer them. All right. Well, here we go. I am so ready to get started with my friend, Lisa. Lisa, I am so glad that you're joining me on my podcast today. It is such an honor to have you. It is really fun to be here. Oh, my gosh. You know, I I love the fact that you and I are both leading in different ways and capacities, singles and, you know, in ministry. And we are both so busy. We didn't have time to really sit down and chat about what we were going to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the last time that we actually chatted, we were in a blizzard. And then it's supposed to be in the 90s here today. So we can communicate in all seasons. That is so right. So that's encouraging. That's good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I think we live and breathe some of these topics for singles. And as leaders, sometimes we're expected to have it all together, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But we don't. <laughs> no, no, clearly. I try to make it look like that sometimes. I mean, that's where, you know, when I can act like it's, it's funny because working, um, as you know, I work with young adults a lot. And so I think they look at me like, oh, my goodness, how did Lisa get into this awesome career? And she's just rocking it as a single and she's doing X, Y, Z. And I'm like, Wow. Okay. So last night I went home and I did some laundry, didn't have anything to eat in my house. So I had to just run through a drive through, which was totally going against my summer fitness goals. And right. I'm like, I just told you, you know, this morning when I came into work, I was like barely making it. Of course, I uh, didn't uh, plan on an, uh, an unexpected traffic accident. And so I'm like, hey, Jill, I'm here. I just walked in the door 30 seconds ago. So yeah, no, not not always having it together for sure. Absolutely. I love that you said uh, drive through. So my new staple has been always have enough avocados on hand because guacamole always makes a great dinner. <laughs> oh, that is that is fabulous. So yeah, because there's nothing like fat and salt. That's I know. What I say. Well, That's I'm the two of the food groups, at least. <laughs> right. But they are saying that good fat is good for you. So I'm embracing no, it's, that. <laughs> it's good. 
it it will lengthen your life. So I say go for it full tilt. Right. You know, I I did, you know, introduce you a little bit in the intro, but um, I'd really love for people to know um, the way we connected, of course, was when I was traveling across country. Um, But you've been how long have you actually been working for Boundless, which is the young adult ministry of focus on the family? Yeah, full time since 2010. So seven years now. And before that, for a couple years, um, I Uh, Well, actually, for 11 years, I had headed up our media relations division here at Focus on the Family. My background's in journalism and PR. Uh, So did that and just figured, oh, I guess I'll do this for life, you know, whatever, a career, Um, (laughs) and really enjoyed it. But then I started um, hosting the Boundless show. So Boundless at the time, which is our ministry here at Focus on the Family for Young Adults, was run by a bunch of guys, all of whom were married with kids, and they knew they wanted to start a show, and they literally asked me, Lisa, you are single, you like to talk, do you want to host this show? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I'll give it a try, whatever, you know, never done anything like this whatsoever. And uh, yeah, so I've been doing it. It's going to be 10 years coming up uh, this winter. Oh, my goodness. I can't even imagine as I am just starting my podcast and you have done how many episodes have you done now? We will in August, we will have our 500th episode. Oh my gosh! And that's with a once a week show. I mean, so you think, you know, oh, that's got to be pretty easy and stuff. But it's weird. I mean, I, in fact, I was just telling someone the other day, it's weird hosting the show and thinking, I mean, there are so many times I come into the studio and I'm like, surely I have said everything there is to say (laughs) on singleness, on dating. Surely as I interview someone, I have heard every book and every blog post and I've read all the stuff. No one can say anything new. And then I sit down with a guest and they start talking and I'm like, that is so interesting. I've never thought of that before. That is so, God really used that in my life too. And so it's like God has just shown up for 10 years and I'm still learning. I'm walking this road with everyone else. And so it's been a blast. Yeah. Well, for all the listeners that are curious, I was on the podcast on episode number 444. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But what I loved is the title. It's a good number. Yes, it was a great number, which is interesting because that number is showing up a lot in my life this year. So for all those people that understand what numbers mean, send me a comment. Let me know. Um, But I love the episode was called Big Spenders (laughs) (laughs) because it was all about me driving across country having no money. So it just was kind of ironic (laughs) and funny to me. Um, That's very funny. But, um, you know, as you talk to all these people and I talk to so many people about singleness, I edit Single Matters magazine, and so many articles come in with people from all walks of life. I have, you know, single people and married people who, you know, were single for a while after a divorce. And there are so many perspectives. And I love that about the body of Christ because God gives us each a piece that we can share with each other. And so I I really want people to go and visit Boundless. It's boundless.org, right? It is, yes. And um, and listen to some of your podcasts, too. Um, well, one of the things that I think we really um, appreciated about each other when we had lunch when I was in Colorado was just being two women over 30. We won't say how far over 30, but we are two <laughs> women over 30 leading in ministry for young adults or singles. And we're still single. And we're still hoping for a husband. And I think you and I have both had people ask us, you know, you're amazing. Why are you still single? And I've like, I've lost ideas on how to respond. So now my new response <laughs> is, 
I know I'm amazing. I have no idea why. Like I used to think (laughs) I knew why. Uh, I wasn't ready or I'm not meeting anyone or whatever the things are. Um, But right now, I'm like, I have no clue why. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, it's funny. I get it kind of from both sides because I think people assume that because I work for Focus on the Family, I must just be in this, you know, it's kind of this uh, osmosis procedure of somehow this husband's just going to, you know, amble on by because they're obviously interested in Focus on the Family. Um, People say, you know, how can you work for Focus and not be married? Like, wouldn't you just meet people all the time? And I'm like, I do. And they're married. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) you know, people that are generally interested in marriage marriage and parenting um, are going to be, you know, in that in that vein. And so um, so it is weird. You know, in fact, when people have told me even with boundless, you know, people will say, well, and and by people, I mean, my own sisters. uh, Let's be honest here. Um, Are you sure you're trying hard enough? Are you sure you're putting yourself out there? Are you sure you're not too picky? And it's kind of always something. Surely I must be doing something wrong. And uh, I always respond to that by saying, look, I host an international show for single people. I think I'm out there. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like people (laughs) know that I'm single. They know that I desire marriage. I'm not called to singleness. Um, So I kind of feel like, you know what, at this point, I've put it in God's camp and just said, God, I have tried. I mean, definitely there are things, you know, for me to do to be prayerful about it, to be proactive. Um, But you know, it's no longer really a numbers game for me. I mean, I'm not going to some Christian university where all these young Christian guys are like in my sphere every day. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of told God, I'm like, God, I think I've entered kind of miracle territory here, like where you're going to have to show up. (laughs) And it's not, you know, I tell people, will it be, you know, almost a miracle if I get married? Maybe, but God's in the business of miracles. And so... I don't see it as a zero-sum game. I see it as something where God could absolutely have me marry at some point in the near or further future someone that I have not met yet, someone that I have known for years and just never thought that this is the person I'm going to marry. And so it's kind of just waiting to see how that unfolds and, um, you know, being confident and content in the meantime. Yeah. I was reading an article that you wrote. I think it was Today's Christian Woman. And you said, I've spent plenty of time obsessing, too. I've wondered whether I'm too strong to attract a guy's attention or maybe I'm too chatty, opinionated or tall. And we do that. (laughs) We, We just wonder, what is it, especially when you have a ministry that is public and, like you said, 500 episodes, people know you're single. And I wonder sometimes if men just don't realize, maybe the men can comment, but do you guys not realize that we're like, yes, please ask me out. Um, Let's Mm -hmm. get to know me. I'm not unapproachable and I'm not, you know, whatever it is, because when we're online and I speak as well as as you do as well, um, we write blogs, we're a little bit more public, you way more than I am. But sometimes I've wondered if there's no mystery left to me. Because everything mm-hmm. of what I, everything I think is out there, um, y- you know, I don't, there is stuff there that I don't put online, you know, there are mm-hmm. lots of things about me. I think if you listen to this podcast or read my blog or hear me speak in an event, that isn't the sum of who I am. And that's just one aspect. That's just the public part of me. And so I'm very hesitant, I guess I should say, to write about my struggles 
And because I don't want someone to judge me from that and go, she's a hot mess. I don't want to date her because, well, no, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to be vulnerable and authentic. And I'm trying to share what I'm going through right now. And I don't want that to be a turnoff. So I struggle with how much of myself should I put out there? Yeah. Well, and I almost see it's been kind of a both and for me in that I feel like I trend on the opposite side of the spectrum where people see me and they're like, oh, my goodness, she has this international podcast and a radio show and she leads Boundless and she's written a book and she's so she must just be amazing and super strong and she's got this exciting life. And how in the world would I ever fit into that? And so I have to remind them like, oh, actually, no, let me tell you about XYZ struggle I'm in right now. Or let me tell you about how my life is exceedingly mundane (laughs) when I'm not hosting a show. Um, And so it's one of those like, you know, or or I've had guys flat out tell me, you know, well, I'm afraid to date you because if it didn't work out, I'd probably end up on your show or (laughs) or I'd end up as an example in your next book, which, you know, I can't, there are no guarantees, you know, you may if you're totally crazy, but let's be honest. Um, But like you might be, I feel like it's like Taylor Swift, you know, with her songs, like no one wants to be her (laughs) ex-boyfriend. That's pretty much it. Yes. Uh, But, you know, maybe I guess she makes some money off of it. So whatever. But um, no, but it is weird. It's this false sense of reality of what does this actually look like? And and I feel like, um, you know, there is this idea of, no, I actually am a real person and I want to share that part of who I am, too. Um, And I found, you know, I never want to let women think because I I think oftentimes we trend, especially in the church, to this opposite extreme of, you know, girls, you're all princesses and you're amazing and none of these guys deserve you and whatever. And I'm like, you know what? No, I've had friends like have to actually tell me in my life, Lisa, here. I mean, they've actually pointed out things that have been very refining to me. So Mm -hmm. I can't um, assume I don't want to step into a space of just oh, let's put it all out on the table. And, you know, if a guy wants it, then that's fine. And if he doesn't, then his loss or whatever. (laughs) Um, Because I've been that person on dates who has overshared. And uh, in fact, I was recapping a a date to a friend and she's like, wow, do you think maybe you just like shared too much? (laughs) And I'm like, what? How can you share? What? I don't share too much. I just figured, you know, if he wants to ask this about me, then I'll just volunteer this too. (laughs) She's like, yeah, but why... (laughs) (laughs) Well, <laughs> isn't that like too much? And it really like it, it really took me aback. And I was like, no one had ever said that before. And it was so revealing to me to help me refine out of my own personality and kind of my own tendencies to say, yeah, Lisa, you don't have to a date doesn't have to be like a podcast interview. You know, you can just right. like chill, you know, be yourself. Let him find out things about you and don't make it a big Barbara Walters situation. <laughs> um So, I mean, that was so, it was such a great point uh, for me to learn and to apply to my own life and realize that, yeah, I don't have to, don't have to be that, um, or I don't have to be, I'm actually very, Jill, you're going to find this hard to believe, I'm very borderline extroverted. Um, (laughs) I test out as an extrovert, but it's very borderline. But I think people think that because I host a show, I just must be off the charts and I have to be surrounded by people. And that's not true at all. And so, um, Mm. yeah, I think I battle, I think I battle for putting forward a true sense of of who I am, um, the public versus the private persona. 
Yeah. You know, when you mentioned um, extrovert, I am an introvert. So that makes sense that I don't want to share a lot because I want to be discovered mm-hmm. and um and and I, I slowly share things about myself. But with the people I'm close with, I hold nothing back. They know everything mm-hmm. about me and probably more than they want to know because I am, a, um, I guess, there's another podcast that I did with a lady named Michelle Cuss. So if you want to learn more about extrovert, introvert, listen to that one um, that's coming up. But she and I talked about even the INFJ, I'm an external feeler. So the way I communicate is and process my feelings is by talking. And so people misunderstand and think I'm an extrovert because I'm really oh, sure. relational. And I, I once I'm out, once I really communicate, I'm okay with whatever is on my mind. But that's only because I've processed it. So I usually don't say things I don't mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, being, that's good. being on an introvert scale, though, is uh, it's a little difficult. I've wondered, you know, oh, am I have I not put myself out there enough? Like what your sisters have asked you, if I not tried hard enough, because I am so happy to hang out at home and spend time with a few people that I love. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think that that goes back to there's really not one reason why we're single. Like it, we are who we yeah. are. And I think I've learned, if nothing else, as I've gotten older, to embrace my quirks, to embrace who I am, and not try and be anything for anyone else. And I think, you know, we hear that phrase, just run after God, and one day you're going to turn and see someone running next to you. (laughs) I'm like, well, (laughs) I'm I'm starting to get a little tired here. (laughs) I'm I'm (laughs) I'm not at the end of the race, but, you know, we're over the halfway mark (laughs) for sure. I think I'm running too slowly, and all the guys have passed me. I think that's where where (laughs) I ended up. Um, I don't know what, what happened there, but... But it's yeah. funny what you were saying about like just thinking again of my sisters is and this might be helpful for other single people out there who've had to process this with with married people in their lives. Um, and I, I think I'm actually going to sit down and have a heart to heart conversation with each of my sisters over this because they don't realize, I think, that it really is just it's exhausting and it's almost um, they're their intentions for me are good. I think what they want is they want, they they enjoy married life. They love their husbands. And so they want that for me as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think they feel like if I just got married, not only would I understand that and understand what they have, but I would understand them better too. Because I think that them being married, me being single, they feel like we are in these different worlds that almost can't collide. And so they're just like, well, you know, it's kind of their way of trying to get closer to me of, well, maybe if we had like married life experiences to share, or maybe Mm -hmm. if we had this, you know, it's a way of finding things in common. And I'm like, okay, but let's find some other things in common. Let's cultivate a relationship where we are right now, because I don't think, you know, you can't set up this false ideal of, oh, if we just had these (laughs) life experiences, or if you could just mentor me in marriage, um, then that would fix everything. And, and so it's, it's one of those things of just saying, you know, no, I I love you for you. And I want to get to know you for you. Um, I don't think that you being married, you know, makes me love you any less or, or quite frankly, it, I don't want it to make me relate to you any less either. I think the relating to is a subject I've heard a lot of singles talk about that some of their married friends understand and embrace where they're at. 
I've had lots of married friends who are always trying to set me up. Um, they invite me over like 4th of July, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. holiday it is. Because there are a lot of people who are married who only do things with other married couples. And as we've probably heard from people who get divorced, that becomes very difficult when you go through a divorce and then all of a sudden you lose all your friends. Um, right. And I think it's important for the the church and for married people to hear from our heart, please invite us over. Please ask us to do things because we need that that socialization and that fellowship too. And we have, like you said, there's lots of other things we have in common besides our relational status. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's where I think really we can be as the church, you know, be the church because there are so many commonalities. There are many things. I mean, when I've, when I've actually gotten to the bottom of it with my married friends, they are kind of like, yeah, I would love to, you know, they look back longingly on their single days and kind of feel like it's this tundra in the past <laughs> that right. they crossed and now they could never go back. And I'm like, you know, there is just like there is more to me than singleness. There's more to them than marriage. And so right. let's find ways to connect in that. And quite frankly, just because I'm single doesn't mean I can't encourage them in their marriage and support them in that and be a listening ear and help build up their their husband in their own estimation and, and be a support mm-hmm. in that way. I want to be able to do that, too. That is a really good point, because, you know, in the end, we all do relationships, Whether you're married or not, we all have to figure out how to do relationships with friends, with coworkers, you know, with whoever, because there's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be misunderstandings. And we have to learn how to, you know, what the Bible says, think of others more highly than yourself. And that verse wasn't meant for just couples. You know, it was meant in general. Right. Um, So I've learned a lot about relationships and marriage, of course, by talking to friends, but as a single person, um, learning how to forgive, learning how to um, be patient with someone or not being able to change someone's mind or control them, you know, when I want to. So I have all that practice. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't need to be married to start getting it. But I've heard a lot of people say marriage is for (laughs) sanctification, right? So there's, there's a new level. I used to, I actually just thought of this. I joked with um, one of my old bosses. I was on staff at a church and uh, they were talking about marriage and sanctification. And I said, well, I must be perfect because I don't need it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny because I found that I have to go after it intentionally because I thought, you know, it's so funny. um, I had told you that a year and a half ago, I moved my mom in with me and she's Mm -hmm. 88 and has dementia. And in order to do this, one of my dear, dear friends from church um, decided, I mean, it's a long story, but she basically decided to quit her job and become my mom's daytime caregiver. And so... um, the three of us moved into a house together where I could make accommodations for my mom. So I had previously for 13 years not had a roommate. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny because I'm like, wow, I was like, I was pretty awesome back then. Um, (laughs) When I lived by myself, I got along with myself just fine, um, is what I noticed. And so now I've got my mom, who is basically like, I feel like I've entered a parenting role with her. And so Mm -hmm. all now I'm identifying with all my friends who are parents, like, you know, oh, my goodness, are we doing the same bedtime routine again tonight? What? Um, And then having a roommate who, you know, 
to her, you know, to my chagrin, she has actual opinions of her own. She doesn't want to just like bu- do everything I tell her to do. Right. So I'm like, what? You know, what? Why did you get so crazy? What happened to you? <laughs> Whatever. And then she's like, no, it's probably you. Right. And so <laughs> it really is. I mean, there's singles are not exempt from learning how to communicate, how to sacrifice, how to deny themselves and pick up their cross, how to relate well and do conflict well with others. And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we assume, and I see so many like precious young 20-somethings believing this, like, let me tell you, through Boundless, don't worry, because once I get married, I'm going to learn how to do all that stuff. And I'm like, Mm. you know, you want to start working on it now. Don't think that marriage is going to automatically give you these amazing relational skills. You got to work on them now. Right. You know, you mentioned your mom uh, with dementia and living with you. And when we were in Colorado, we talked about this. And one of the things I actually love is when you share the things on social media that your mom has said to you. They are some of the funniest things I've ever heard. I really hope you put it together in a book someday. Um, That's what people tell me. Yeah, I'll have to work on it. Like share just a couple of the funny things your mom has said, the things that stand out to you recently. Well, so and to understand this, you have to understand that my mom pre-dementia has always been kind of feisty, pretty opinionated. She was always kind of the, you know, spoke her mind. So now with dementia, with no filter, she has just, it's nutty. Um, So you never know. I always tell people, um, I always tell people, you know, if you just need a reality check or you need some truth spoken in your life or you need a rebuke, let me bring my mom over because she tells it like it is. You will get unfiltered what what you need to know from her. Um, so one of the one of the funny things she did, uh, one that comes to mind that I did put on on social media um, was just a couple weeks ago. And and this is so funny, because it it actually speaks to my, you know, uh, rose colored glasses as well. So I was putting her to bed and she's uh, at a point now where she's still mobile, she's healthy, but she needs constant supervision. So she's got a pretty moderate heading towards severe dementia, um, Mm. but she's great in the moment and she's just a lot of fun. But so I was putting her to bed and something, she was just super anxious about something as she was going to sleep and very agitated and was saying, well, I don't know what, you know, blah, blah. And I was trying to discern, like, what is she so agitated about? And so I decided, of course, you know, being the mature daughter, I was going to get super spiritual on her. So I just said, well, you know, mom, in Psalm 53, it tells us that when we're afraid, you know, I will trust in you and God whose word I praise and God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? And she looked at me and said, clear as day. She's just like, well, quite a lot, actually. And she pulls her blanket up and turns over and just shoos me away like, why? <laughs> why are you even talking to me? You, you know, you idiot or whatever. Oh and gosh. so I was kind of like I was shot down with my attempt to spiritualize the situation. So she um, was, it's very true. Um, what can mortal man do to me? Quite uh, a lot, actually. But <laughs> yeah, it's, so almost, that was, uh, it's like the simplification of like children take things literally. I think is the yeah. the things I've noticed on your and the things that your mother says that are so funny. Um, that yeah. she relates very literally now. 
Yeah. Oh, exactly. And then one of the other ones she had, this was probably about a month ago, and I had probably around January-ish, you know, just started. I started playing tennis and had done a little bit more running, and I was watching what I was eating because a group of friends and I were going to go. We went on a cruise in May, so I'm like, oh, I got to do, you know, just do something. Maybe we'll see if I can lose 10 pounds. So we were sitting at the dinner table, and Mom just looks over at me, and she said, huh, you know, you're not uh, quite as fat as you used to be. <laughs> so I was like, okay, mom, I will take it. Um, I will see. That's a compliment. And yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. I didn't even want to ask her what, what, when was, you know, you used to be, when was she referring to? I'll just oh. take it. And so oh my gosh. she's pretty, uh, yeah, she can be pretty, pretty honest when it comes to it. Yeah. Well, I also, I mean, all joking aside, this, you know, taking care of your mom because you're single and you can, um, not that I un- totally understand why, because I'm sure <laughs> married people take care of their, their sick parents too. But in your family, you ended up taking care of your mom. Um, but I'm sure that there's some of your own process and, you know, whether it's grieving or fears or anything like that, um, what do, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, very much so. I mean, I think the process of me grieving began probably eight or nine years ago when we started seeing the signs of dementia, because basically it's been a long, slow role reversal of saying goodbye to my mom as I remember her. Um, So the mom that was my prayer warrior, the mom that checked in with me via phone, the mom that asked about my life and actually followed everything I did. I mean, she was my biggest cheerleader. Um, That has reversed now to the point where, you know, just because of where she is with the disease, her life is exactly you know, her little world, what's happening to her in the moment, that's where she lives. And she just doesn't have the capacity to say, you know, Lisa, tell me about you. Where are you right now? Hmm. Um, And so being single and not having that really filled elsewhere, at least in my immediate family, has been a loss. And I've had to grieve that. And I know that's where, you know, a lot of folks, um, even though my mom doesn't have Alzheimer's per se, they're you know, very similar in dementia. Um, you know, they, they refer to it as that long goodbye of just mm-hmm. realizing that, you know, who you remember your parent to be or your spouse, your loved one, um, it, it's not going to be the same. And so I've had to do that. And then in that, I think, you know, it's brought up a lot of other fears that are birthed out of singleness and just my own lies that I believed, like, um, you know, one of them um just being the whole thing of now I'm a, I'm a caregiver. And that just makes me feel old. I mean, Mm -hmm. here I am, I'm working, none of my peers are in this situation. You know, their parents are mostly in their sixties, you know, if that, um, and so they're not having to enter this space, but my, both my parents were in their mid to late forties when I was born. So I've got a weird, you know, now Mm -hmm. I have this weird generational gap. Um, and so that's been hard just to feel like feel age kind of come on me in a way and feel like, oh, I'm no longer this, you know, young, carefree, footloose, fancy free single person that I I had this life that I thought and I don't know if I idolized it or where that was. So I've been coming to grips with that. Um, And then also just fears for my own future, because I, um, I think to myself, you know, here is mom, she's got six kids. Um, She is now living with me full time. 
I, you know, her biggest fear, I think, in her old age was that she would end up forgotten in a nursing home um, with no one to visit her, no one to care for her and, and know her history, even as she was forgetting her own history. And so to have her in my home and to have her included in family and to have give her care and have her included in activities in church is huge for her. And it makes me think if mom has that and she has six kids to help provide that, who's going to provide that for me? And is anyone going to be there? And am I going to be um, forgotten? Am I going to have to be cared? What if I don't even remember my own name in the future? Who will ever, you know, make the effort to have that connection with me? And, and so I've just had so many fears around that. And one thing that was super cool, Jill, not that, you know, first of all, I've had to say, even in married couples, one person's going to die before the other. And so every, you know, someone's going to have to face this in that right. in that pairing at some point, you know, so it's not there's no guarantees for any of us. But also one of the coolest stories that I saw that I just felt was God telling me, Lisa, look at this and realize that I'm I'm caring for you. Um, there's a, a lady in the church that my mom went to before she moved out here, a little small country church up in Minnesota. She's in her mid-90s. Her name's Esther. And she's uh, was single her entire life, lived in the same farmhouse her entire life. And she cared for all, both of her parents and all of her siblings as they died. Wow. Um, as they died, they came back to the farmhouse and she nursed them. She cared for them. She took them in and she was their caregiver. And exact same, you know, very parallel situation of like, wow, she was single. She didn't have anyone to really support her in that. Um, and then now she is frail. She needs care. Um, she's still, her mind is still there, but she's very frail and in a wheelchair. And a young couple in her church built an addition onto their house. They have toddlers. They are in the midst of just life and craziness. And they took Esther in. Um, they bought a van that accommodates her wheelchair. They invited her into their home. They are caring for her. And it, to me, Jill, is just God saying, Lisa, look at what I planned for Esther years and years, knowing that she was going to care for others in this way. Look at how I cared for her in return. And it it's not even that I'm saying, oh, well, so my guarantee is that someone will do this for me. I, there's no guarantee of that. But it reminds me that God is my defender. God is my caretaker. God is the one who has my story, has my back. And on him, uh, do I need to cast all my cares and remember that he will be uh, the one to stand for me and to speak for me when I can't do so for myself. And so it's just been yeah. a huge lesson learned for me in that. I think there's a lot of singles that are listening to this that are so going to appreciate that story because um, I know I'm not alone. You're not alone in having thought that. My sister yeah. also is single and we've had that conversation. Are we going to end up being those two ladies sipping tea with our funny hats, you know, living together and being <laughs> roommates at the end of all this? Um, and part mm -hmm. of us thinks, oh, that'll be so fun. And then, you know, we spend a whole day together and go, oh, we're so different. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> Maybe but not. Yeah, but really, I think there are old there are a lot of people now who are single. Um, I guess it's more than 50 percent of the United States is single. And a lot of people are choosing not to get remarried or marry at all. And I'm curious how that's all going to play out. But I think your point mm -hmm. is that God promises to take care of us 
and um, especially those of us that are serving and um, and trust him. You know, forget the serving. If you're not serving, like he is a good father and he promises to take mm-hmm. care of us. And not that we can be careless and we can not plan for our futures and think it'll all work out, but we do our part and we let him do his part. And for those that are just doing their part the best that they can, we just have to leave the results to God. Yeah. Um, and we can't be paralyzed by fear of the future because, again, my roommate, who's just mm-hmm. precious, and she's totally like, tell it like it is, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, sometimes she'll say things to me, and I'm like, can you maybe just sandwich it a little bit? Because that's a little <laughs> bit stark for me right now. Um, but she told me when I relayed that story to her, she's like, Lisa, yeah, you know, like, I mean, first of all, you don't even know if you're going to live into old age. I mean, you <laughs> oh could gosh. totally die tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, well, there, there, there's some comfort in that, I guess. What? <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> but she was just like, you know, but yeah, I mean, so she said, okay, well, there's that fact. Um, but then she reminded me, she said, but you don't even know who God is preparing for you mm-hmm. uh, to walk there alongside you. Some couple, you know, again, like like Esther's couple that just has a burden um, and God puts it on their heart to care for this little old lady named Lisa who doesn't have anyone and needs someone to be her advocate and, and to be her caretaker. And, and so I have to trust God for that. Yeah. For sure. You know, I think um, one of the other things that we've talked about, speaking of prolonged singleness, there are a lot of people that are now in their, you know, late 20s, 30s, 40s and up that are turning to this online dating that maybe haven't in the past. I think when it first came, there was a stigma about it. And now, because people are getting older and thinking, I really don't want to be alone. We don't want to have the fear of the future and who's going to take care of me. More people are turning to online dating. I hear so many stories of people getting married um, from that. And I hear a lot of mm-hmm. tragic, horrible things that have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, are, what are you hearing from the community that you walk with? Yeah, I think it's definitely um, kind of an age and stage based thing, too, in the sense that, you know, younger single adults, so those 20 somethings, you know, have been much less likely to trend towards online dating because they have a lot of folks in their sphere who are still potential matches. And while they have those folks in their sphere, they're also trying to figure out a lot of just life. You know, I mean, they are (laughs) obviously the 20 somethings, if they made it out of college at this point, um, they are saddled with enormous student loan debt uh, for the most part. They're trying to figure out how am I even going to get a job that's going to enable me to pay all this back. Um, they're negotiating, you know, the, the whole idea of uh, this grand calling they thought they would have on their life, but then why are they working at Starbucks? And so they've got a lot of big decisions to make. But as I find uh, single young adults move towards their late 20s into their 30s and beyond, not only does the potential pool of healthy, uh, available single adults diminish, but they kind of get into this panic mode. And this is exactly where I was of like, what in the world? I thought I'd be married by now, so I better do something about it. And, um, you know, women especially, because, you know, a lot of women, I think, go online because we feel like if we're truly going to try to trust God with our story and with our, our path to marriage via dating, we still want to be doing something. And so a lot of women, it's kind of like their way of doing something. So Mm -hmm. they don't want to go around and just walk through the grocery store and ask any guy out, um, or even in their (laughs) small group, you know, they still want to be pursued, they want, they want to be, um, 
you know, they want to be the one who who is pursued and, and for guys to notice them and step up. But at the same time, they don't want to just sit there twiddling their thumbs. And so they're like, okay, well, I'm going to go online and I'm going to fill out a profile or 10 and uh, see see what happens. Wait, hold up. People do more than one? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, so, (laughs) yeah. No, I mean, you can't you have to diversify, Jill. You can't Uh just uh, (laughs) it's like a it's like a stock portfolio. You don't just sit there and put all your eggs in one basket. So we'll we'll um, have to talk offline about that later because I just didn't even know. (laughs) I'll give you I'll give you tips. You know, it was funny because my first foray into online dating, um, which was probably gosh, has to be about eight years ago now, eight or nine years ago. Um, More than that, 10 years ago, I guess. Um, I actually signed up. I probably was on four or five different sites. And so it became a full-time job. Like it actually, like that was my impetus for giving up TV, if you can believe it or not. And I've never really gone back to TV, which is probably a good thing. But I just couldn't fit in anything else in my evenings. I would get into these conversations with guys and I just thought like, oh, okay, well, I better follow this one. And what did I say to him? Is it the same thing I said to him? I mean, it was like a juggling act. Oh my goodness. So, um... Yeah, so it's really weird. And and of course, I was very foolish in that not knowing any better at the time. I didn't have like geographic parameters or anything. So I was talking to this guy in the Netherlands. I was talking to another guy in California, another guy. I mean, way too broad, I mean, for realistically <laughs> pursuing any of these things. Um, but I, I think what it's what it's really where I've really seen it shape us is it has made um, getting to know someone it's brought it to a whole new level because no longer when you're online, especially if it has any kind of distance involved, um, you can't just hit that person up and go to a movie or go out for dinner or do something casually after work. As instead, you are um, communicating online either through email or through some kind of messaging function, or you start texting one another, maybe talking on the phone, whatever. But it is, uh, it really makes you more prone to go very deep, very fast. And I've seen this happen with myself, I've seen it happen with friends, and it just becomes this connection, an intense connection that almost happens too soon because you don't have really all the facts on the table. You don't have an in-person experience with this person, yet you are forming a connection that if it doesn't work out is very difficult to sever. And so I'm seeing a lot of friends with broken hearts from relationships that probably didn't really have a chance to get off the ground. Um, And I think it's, it's almost like a false sense of safety because we go online thinking, okay, well, you know, clearly I'm not going to sleep with this person because we're just, I am, you know, we're just talking online. And so we think that that's okay, but we don't realize we're really giving our heart away and we're giving a lot of connection, way too much information uh, for what's for what's being given in return as far as commitment. And so um, next thing we know, we're in too deep and we just have not set up appropriate boundaries uh, or any kind of even timeline or structure for the way the relationship's going. You know, I think one of the things you said is so important is that intimacy and going too fast too soon um, is more than physical because when you share your life and your secrets and your past or how your day went, you become very attached to that person on an emotional level. And um, and then again, you can also, that person can be filling a need for you that mm-hmm. really it's not time for that. Uh, so I think that 
going uh, having intimacy too quickly um, isn't something that I've thought about. I, I haven't dated online except for um, before I was walking with the Lord, and then I did an experiment last year. Which was tragic. Um, so I don't, I just don't think I was wired for that. The introvert in me just yeah. wanted to die. Um, because I, I can talk on the phone and people can like me and text messages. I can be witty. I need to meet someone and I need to see their friends. I need to see how they treat the waitress. Um, those kind of social things are just for me personally, um, what I need to see. And I need to see that early, but I don't want to just go meet a stranger that early. So I was just all kinds of a mess and complicated. So it just didn't work for me. (laughs) I'm not saying never. I'm actually thinking if there's any man listening to this podcast and you think Lisa or I are amazing, please email us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Really, it just becomes, I think, online dating has been the way people are meeting. And yet there's so many problems with that. Um, because of technology, like you said, and and even the multiple profiles, like that freaks me out. Like how many women are you talking to besides me? Because I'm kind of like, well, I'll try one. And if that doesn't work out, I'll move on Mm -hmm. to another one. But I don't really want to talk to 10. I just don't have the capacity for that. Yeah. And there's just no built in system of accountability for it either. So I always tell single adults, if you're going to go online, do it. I mean, I think online is a great tool, especially in a culture right now that is so transient. Very few people are are near where they grew up. Very few of them stay in one place any, mm-hmm. you know, any length of time. And so, yeah, it, it's very much a tool. But at the same time, you have to go into it with a game plan. You have to bring a team around you that's going to hold you accountable. So you're not just sitting in your apartment uh, randomly uh, chatting with people for hours on end each evening. Uh, you have to really treat it like a real relationship. I mean, these are real people behind the screen and don't waste your time in theirs frittering frittering away uh, time in conversation and more. Um, you're just hoping there will be something. I mean, again, I, I think a mm-hmm. lot of Women especially uh, set up this false expectation of, okay, well, because, you know, we're both online, because we started this conversation, maybe we took it into texting or even phone, I'm now dating him, quote unquote, and all of a sudden the hopes start running ahead of them. So it's like the Mm -hmm. what if, what if this turns into something? What if, how am I going to orchestrate it to make it something real? And rather than just letting it develop at a natural pace and being okay with that, it's there's just a lot of information that they're willing to share and to go deep and to go in their own hearts, um, probably far ahead of where the guy is in that space, who is probably very likely, as you said, chatting with other women as well. I mean, there's no, (laughs) unless you've actually said, unless you've had that conversation of, no, I really want to pursue you now. We met online. This is fabulous. But no, I've I've shut down my profile. I'm not talking to anyone else. You still got to have those define the relationship conversations, even online. And that might be a little awkward to have that early on. But if you're getting attached early on, you kind of need to. I think you brought up a good subject. Like sometimes People say, we're just hanging out. We're getting to know each other. And and I actually, maybe I'm old fashioned, but that's called dating to me. Like that, yeah. <laughs> if, if, if I'm if I'm talking to you, I, I don't just talk to men because I want more friends. Um, yeah. And I do have a lot of Especially good if you're friends. on a dating site. I yeah. mean, my goodness. Like, let's just be honest, people, why we're on here. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so if we went on here, we're looking for um, that. But, you know, some people aren't looking for marriage out of it. They're looking for company. 
And yeah. um, and that is an important thing to understand as well. Like, but when do you bring that up in a conversation? Are we working towards marriage? I mean, that's awkward on the you know early on. Right. Um, right. Well, I think I mean, that's where I'm saying, like, if you're online and you are willing to do something long distance, you have to have a plan in place, like in your own head of what you're willing to do and then bring it up to that person as far as like, are we on here for the same purposes? And when it when we decide this is actually like has some potential, we have to move this into real time and real space. So either someone needs to start traveling or we both need to or we need to, um, you know, it you have to it it's only it's only a relationship truly once you move it into real time and real space and you know that it has potential otherwise mm-hmm. you are exactly as you said Jill you have got a pen pal okay right. so if you just want a pen pal be very honest about that cuz other people may not want that but you need to not treat you not you need to not settle for a pen pal relationship that goes on for months and months when really mm-hmm. in your heart you want something more And you said not settle. I think that's an identity thing that a lot of people, men Mm -hmm. and women, um, are settling because they're they think, well, this is the best I've got. And that can be dangerous. Right. Especially as they get older, you know, and and you alluded to uh, folks who maybe are single again. I mean, Mm -hmm. I have had divorced friends and people in the boundless sphere say to me, um, yeah, Lisa, well, you know, I feel like God gave me my chance at marriage and I screwed it up. So now I'm just, you know, I'm kind of like damaged goods or I feel like he's not really going to come around. He's not going to bless me with someone mm-hmm. else. And I'm like, that is such a lie of Satan to say yeah. that and to to believe that and to believe that God doesn't, as you said, he's a good father, that he doesn't have good things for you and that he is, as a child of God, he's going to punish you for mistakes made in the past. It's just not true. And I have had Mm -hmm. friends bear that out that they have just found wonderful spouses having been married and divorced or um, in other situations that, you know, were tragic or otherwise. Um, We don't know. I mean, God is going to craft the perfect story for you exactly as he sees fit. And it doesn't have anything to do with what your personal record is. Yeah, that's good encouragement. If you had one lesson and through your single years to give people that are single and struggling and not being content. Uh, oh, I hate that phrase. I don't even know why I said it. Um, <laughs> because I can be fully content in my singleness and still fully desire marriage. So let's let's backtrack that. If you had one piece of advice you could give singles who really still desire marriage but are discouraged, what would you say? Yeah. I think um, I'll probably... I'm going to share one thing that might lead me to kind of a two-point thing. Um, The biggest thing I think that I have learned in the last couple of years, um, because I feel like I, um, you know, like I said, I went through my 30s feeling very frantic, like I had to make up for lost time because my 20s, I was just like, whatever. Um, (laughs) And so then I was like, God, what are you doing? Are you punishing me? Um, My biggest thing that I've seen, not only in my own story, but also in talking to young adults through Boundless, is that we have got to get, and you touched on this, we have got to get an understanding of our identity in Christ. So I feel like all the stuff that we see going on in the church, in relationships, the reason we're all reading everyone's blogs and random articles and even even Boundless, even (laughs) though it's a great site, you know, whatever, um, 
I think I think fully 85 to 90 percent of the skirmishes we see going on, even in the church today, would be solved if we just understood who God is and who we are in Christ. I mean, so that's why I mean, Jill, I would say until I don't even care if you don't even look at boundless for the next year, if we don't get into the word of God and understand what he says about us and who we mm-hmm. are and really be passionate about pursuing him first, so many things will fall into place once we understand the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Everything else, if we don't have that in place, everything that I could ever share is just tips and tactics. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you all oh, the 10 best things to do in dating. I could tell you how to clean up your own act. I could tell you how to walk towards maturity and work on your own issues and stuff. But there's still going to be issues until we realize that we have to be freed by the power of Jesus Christ. And that's just yeah. point blank the way it is. And I've seen that play out so so starkly in my own life. Um, I'm actually working on um, Beth Moore's Breaking Free study right now uh, with a group of girlfriends. And I'm just like, of course, you know, this is so classic, Lisa. I go in going, I don't know. I don't think I I don't think I have a ton of issues, whatever. (laughs) And then there's a whole chapter on like family patterns. And I'm like, my family, we're all believers. I think we're pretty decent. And then I start reading it and working through it. And I'm like, we are so messed up. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I never even saw any of this before. What? And so now I'm just all slain because I just think we're all train wrecks. Um, So funny. But it really is. (laughs) Right. recognizing and being really, really willing to own what we have to give back to the Lord and and uh, understand that, you know, we have to shed some patterns of dysfunction and unbelief that we've been clinging to. Um, so I think that's the big thing. And then to realize once you have that to say, do I really believe um do I really believe that God's story, whatever it is, even though I don't understand it, is the story? So, for example, um, I remember hearing the story of a guy who walked up to John Piper. And first of all, like, who walks up to John Piper and tries <laughs> to say anything? I mean, I would just be shaking in my boots, but whatever. So he walks up. This was after John Piper was talking on some two young adults. And this guy goes up to him and he says, Dr. Piper, um, I am a virgin and I'm 25 And I basically told God, I'm giving him until I'm 30. And then after 30, I just need to take matters into my own hands because it is ridiculous. There's no way I'm going to go into my 30s still being a virgin. Wow. And yeah. So first of all, you don't say something like that to John Piper because you know you're going to get a full on smackdown okay, (laughs) from scripture about that. Let me just be honest. Um, But the really the thought I had when I heard that story was, wow, how sad and how actually, you know, how frightening that this guy's limited view of God and the power in his life and the story that he's scripting for him, it's so myopic. I mean, it's so, we have to believe whether it comes to sexual purity, whether it comes to waiting for a mate, whatever, we have to believe that whatever God's story is for us, it is better than what we could imagine. It is, um, that it's a good it's a good story and that you know even if we have to look and say look in 75.5 years or whatever the average life expectancy is now at some point i'm going to be in heaven and none of this is even going to matter it's going to be like a total blip and i'm not trying to just minimize our life here on earth but really in the larger scheme of things 
we need to let God be God and do what he wants to do in us and through us and not just craft our own little timelines and think that we know best and that because all of our friends were married by 26 that we need to be too. Otherwise, we're some kind of just a mess or we're undesirable or whatever. Um But to realize, do we really, I mean, it comes down, it's a trusting God issue. Do we Mm -hmm. really trust God? Because once we decide that we're really going to trust God, then we are free to live in the moment we have and just be awesome at it. I mean, just rock it out. Like wherever I am right now, all I know, I don't know if I will be single or if I will be dating tomorrow. But I do know that I'm single today. And that's all I know. And that's all I have to work with. And I need to do that well. And I need to walk it out trusting God that he is way ahead of me in this process and can figure out and show me exactly where to go in that. And so I think those are kind of the two big overarching rocks that I wish all single adults understood so we weren't constantly competing and constantly looking onto the other side of the fence, hoping for what we don't have and what we may never have. So well said. That's so good. Um, I think one of my passions, talked about breaking free, I have called my life coaching practice Freedom Life Coaching. And um, my biggest passion in that is to help people understand who they are in Christ, to see themselves as God sees them. Because I, I always say what um, comes to us is cultivated in us, and then it's communicated through us. And so when you know who you are, when you get the message from the Lord of how he loves you and how he wired you and you're amazing in your own unique way, and you receive that and you walk in that, I really believe that's when doors open, whether it's marriage or career or what have you, because you know how you were made and you go and fulfill your purpose in the kingdom. And um, and. Once you're doing that, really, you can affect the world. You can change the world. I think one of the things on this podcast I want to do is I have so many friends who have done this, and they're doing amazing things for the kingdom, for God. They have great relationships because they learned who they were in Christ. And I know that phrase is thrown around, um, but like you said in the Beth Moore study, I've actually led that study at church, and you do. You go, oh, I didn't know this was actually an issue. I need to fix this. Yeah. And we yeah. can be proactive now in our lives as singles because if we're not going to do it while we're single, we're going to end up doing it while we're married anyway. So, you know. Right. Truth be told. And it doesn't mean that right. And it doesn't mean that we just go around being happy clappy about everything. Right. I mean, I there are very real things in our lives that we can grieve. I mean, if you have been divorced 3 times and you are just like, I am completely devastated by the relational brokenness in my life, Mm -hmm. you need to grieve that. And you need to be, I mean, it doesn't mean that, oh yeah, that was God's plan for you because he just wants you to be, you know, living in brokenness. No. But I mean, it doesn't mean, it. neither does it mean that it has sidelined you and made you ineffective for ministry or for um, joy and effectiveness in your own life. Yeah. I think um, there's so many things we could talk about. I just think we need to do a a part two episode um, and talk more about singleness and the things that we've learned. Um, But on the last note, um, 
you know, I think it's true. A lot of us have had pasts and things and mistakes that we've made, and it doesn't disqualify us. And one of the things I promised in doing this podcast is I was going to be real. I was going to be vulnerable. I was going to be authentic. And I will just say that because I don't want to say this, so I'm going to say it. (laughs) There was a time early in my ministry that I just was in a relationship that was unhealthy um, with a man. And I remember coming home and crying and telling the Lord, I don't deserve to serve you in ministry and I don't deserve to be married. And I just felt like I had failed. I had messed up way too much for him to ever use me in ministry or marriage. And uh, the Lord's response to me was kind of out of the blue. I mean, for people that, you know, you just know when God's speaking because it's often way smarter than anything you would have thought. I don't tend to be my best cheerleader. So here I am in a puddle on the floor just crying and telling God this and in in the midst of that repenting for sure. And I heard the Lord say, and that's why I'm going to use you. Hmm. And I just, I remember I like just stopped crying. Like I was like, what? And this is years before I had a speaking ministry or single matters or any of the stuff that I'm doing now. Um, This was in the middle of my messy process of letting God use my experiences to highlight my brokenness so that his kindness could lead me to repentance because I believe that I will live up to who God says I am. Um, And so I need to know how he sees me so that I actually will change because that sin stuff isn't who we are. That's our old man that is dead. And so I think for all the singles that are struggling with shame and um, and really, you know, walking in things and doing things and being in relationships that they don't want to be in, um, getting to those heart things, getting that inner healing, doing some of that hard work um, can really pay off in uh, in so many ways. We don't even know what God has for us or so much good stuff coming. So true. So I've so enjoyed this conversation, and I do want people to know that before we leave today, that you have a book called The Dating Manifesto, and um, let let people know a little bit just quickly what that's about, and of course, they can find it online or in any bookstore, but give them a quick update on that. Yeah, well, it's basically um, because I thought, you know, when I was approached to write it by my publisher, I thought, you know, aren't there a lot of books out there kind of on dating and singleness and um, but kind of I guess what's unique about this uh, is twofold. One, it's written by someone who's still walking through it. So a lot of books on singleness are written by people who are now married and they're like, hey, let me tell you about how I got my great happy ending. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I'm still kind of slogging through it with everyone. Um, And then two, this is kind of the the everything I tell people, it's everything I wish I'd been told in my 20s, but just wasn't. So it's really no holds barred. It kind of cuts through the nuttiness that we see in our culture and what's infiltrated the church of our attitudes toward dating, towards marriage. And then really for that older single, as you move through the book, the latter half of the book is really about what do I then do with this um, with this singleness that maybe I didn't think I would have up to this point. I'm I'm unsettled in it. I'm not content. I'm frustrated. I don't I, I don't have the story I wish I'd had. And so I have a whole chapter on grieving singleness and what that looks like and what uh, how we can maximize singleness while we're in this season. And and then it closes with a uh, really a chapter for the church, for leaders of single adults, for parents of single adults. How do we understand singles? And so I often say to my single friends, just get the book and give it to someone who 
person you feel doesn't understand you and tell them <laughs> to read that last chapter. And it really is me kind of talking to them and saying, hey, here's who we are. Here's how you can love us well, how you can encourage us, how you can enfold us in your community, and how you can help us um, move towards marriage if that's what God has, uh, has for us. That's good. So, and to find you online, uh, your website is lisacanderson.com, right? It is. Yep, that's my uh, that's my website. And of course, people can find me at boundless.org as well or on social media. I'm at Lisa C. Anderson on Facebook and Twitter, uh, all of that. So yeah, very fun to, to connect with people. I would love for them to do that. So uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I, I am so, I love our conversations. I am always left encouraged by you and you always make me laugh. And I hope we can get to do this again. <laughs> I hope so too. All right. Thanks, Lisa. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Jill Monaco Show. You can find more from Lisa Anderson when you go to jillmonaco.com slash podcast. Just click on the show notes to find all the links we mentioned here today. And while you're there, leave me a comment and let me know your thoughts on this podcast. And so you don't miss an episode of The Jill Monaco Show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram too. Just search for at Jill Monaco. If you are inspired, encouraged, or challenged from this podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Tag me with at Jill Monaco so I can continue the conversation with you there. If you'd like more podcasts like this, would you prayerfully consider partnering with The Jill Monaco Show? As a program of Jill Monaco Ministries, a 501c3 nonprofit, we are fully supported by listeners like you. You can even get a tax deduction for your gift. So visit jillmonaco.com donate. You can give through PayPal, credit card, or by mail. Well, thanks for tuning in today, my friends. And remember, love well. You are made for it.